executing a plan of attack when natural disasters strike is imperatively important, particularly if, if you own a small to medium-sized business, because you have to protect both your financial, personal, and business future. And the unpredictability of the weather may cause you to take unprecedented but needed steps in order for you to protect your future. According to a report published in September of last year, it found that 61% of companies have raised their philanthropic giving in support of natural disasters. Despite increased spending in this area, fewer than half of all firms and businesses conduct regular exercise planning to prepare for natural disasters or routinely evaluate the impact of their efforts in this regard. Furthermore, only 28% of CEOs and company executives collaborate with their peers when it comes to natural disaster planning. According to the Conference Board and PR Newswire, for my friend Chase Henderson, he helps small and medium-sized companies find money after economic and natural disasters, and he's found up to $10 million to date, thanks to some key mechanisms, including tax credits, business loans, investors, and more. Henderson is the president and co-founder of two companies having to deal with natural disasters or financial freedom and coming up with a game plan to protect your business longevity and viability after a natural disaster strikes. You can find him in Fort Myers, Florida, running both Blue Water Group and NeuroIS. They also are a huge component of their economic recovery center, which is a one-stop shop for businesses to get the economic support they need for their business to continue to thrive after a disaster has struck. Henderson says is someone with a diverse landscape of experience which causes him to appreciate the power of business resilience and finding a way forward and to prepare you once disaster strikes. And he joined me this week to tell me more. I'm Kevin McShane. Let's have this conversation.
chase if you're ready. I'll take a moment to welcome you to the program. And I'm excited to talk to you this afternoon all about small and medium-sized businesses and helping them survive and thrive after natural disasters. Great to see you this afternoon and happy uh, Florida Wednesday to you, my friends. Yeah, well, thank you. Appreciate you having me on the show and a, and a happy Canada Wednesday to you. Well, I appreciate that, my friend, and I know that uh, your uh, sort of professional heartbeat is to help small and medium-sized businesses find money after and before natural disasters. So I'm wondering if we can start our conversation by you telling me what makes you so fabulous and why you love what you do, my friends. Well, absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to talk about it. So uh, like you said, I have a couple of companies. Main front-facing one that we're describing here is Economic Recovery Center, uh, designed to help small to medium-sized businesses find funds after natural disasters and economic downturns. Now, this business kind of came about a bit of a bit of a story here. So I'm in Southwest Florida. So I don't know if you know where Tampa or if you know where Miami is in Florida, just right across the state. That's where I am. Um, so I'm right on the coast. I'm like right next to a little beach town. And at the end of 2022, in September of 2022, we got hit with a massive hurricane. And, and I don't know if this is 100% correct, but it, it was the single largest and most devastating hurricane to hit the state of Florida. Uh, one of the most devastating to hit the United States, period. Uh, it was called Hurricane Ian, and it came through my little town of Fort Myers, Florida, Pine Island, Sanibel, all these little beach towns, and it destroyed like everything. I mean, if you look up pictures of Fort Myers Beach as an example, you'll see absolute carnage. It looks like a war zone, right? I mean, I, I, and I don't say that lightly. I have you know, massive respect for individuals who have to go through those scenarios. But if you look at some of these, I mean, buildings were wiped off the map. Homes were floating away in the ocean. Uh, there's still buildings now where the walls were just completely blown out and people living in tents running off of generators. This has been almost a year and a half now, still living outside in tents. So it's, it was a really sad sight to see. Um, so myself and a couple of my uh, friends came to family friends came together and we decided to give out food and water and supplies to the communities that have been affected most. Right. And luckily for us, we weren't the only ones doing so. The entire community came together. It was such an amazing thing. You would literally see like parade lines in specific neighborhoods with people handing out food and water and supplies to help. Everybody came together to help each other. And it was amazing. FEMA came in, Red Cross came in, <clears throat> tons of government help. Awesome stuff. However, throughout that process and a couple months after, we noticed that there was one group of people that wasn't getting the help that they needed. And it wasn't like a specific gender or race or socioeconomic class. I wasn't getting the help. It was a specific type of person. And that specific type of person was a business owner. Now, it's not that there isn't resources of it, that there aren't resources available for businesses that have been affected by natural disasters. But a lot of times business owners don't really think about that happening to them. They think, oh, you know, this one-off chance that a hurricane comes through or a tornado or an earthquake, that's not going to happen to me until it does, especially when you live in a coastal town like Fort Myers. Um, so we noticed that a lot of these businesses were starting to close down left and right because they didn't know where to go to get help. So that's where myself and my dad actually were co-founders together on this. We came in uh, with our extensive background in business and our uh, network of investors and lenders and banks and other entities and programs that we're aware of, we came together, put it all under one roof, and decided to go out into our community and help as many businesses as we could. 
and now that's grown from just this little small town in Fort Myers to all over the United States with team members in California, all the way up to New Jersey. Um, yeah, it's grown into something like something pretty special. We're still a small business ourselves, um, but we still have made some pretty cool strides over the past almost a year officially. So it's fun stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Chase, I want to ask you specifically about the importance of business owners really know, knowing what what financial options are open to them once uh, natural disasters strike, and the importance of financially sort of preparing yourself to do the best you can to absorb. Uh, what natural disasters bring? What are your thoughts there, my friend? Yeah, well, so it's it's very important. You know, obviously, I'm biased because this is what I do for a living, right? But I, I feel it's very important for businesses to take that time to understand, like, hey, there is a percentage, maybe it's 0.1%, or it could be 90% chance that we are going to be affected by some sort of natural disaster or major economic downturn. You can think of, you know, COVID, right? So if that time is going to occur, we need to know what we're going to do next, right? And a lot of the best way to go about that, whether it's looking for ways to recover the business after a disaster or continue the business, um, or even just trying to find the appropriate financial options to continue is making sure you have something called a business disaster recovery plan. Now, I, I call it BDRP for short. And essentially what a BDRP is, and this is something that a lot of business owners can take um, and start implementing today and start writing it down and, and creating it right now, is it's essentially a plan that outlines what you're going to do after a storm hits and before a storm hits. So you have two parts of a business disaster recovery plan, BDRP. That is the disaster recovery portion of the plan and a business continuance portion of the plan. Now, when it comes to the actual business operations and the financial aspect of the business, they can both be housed in both sections of the, uh, the plan. So I'll just describe both parts. Um, you have the disaster recovery part of a BDRP, which is essentially what do you do to bring your business back to normal, right? So is that finding uh, specific vendors to make up for any vendors you might have lost due to uh, a natural disaster or economic downturn? Is that finding the correct contractors to come in and rebuild the building that you may have lost after um, a, a storm? Or is it finding the right funding, uh, such as an economic injury and disaster loan, an idle loan here in the States, to be able to get yourself back up on your feet financially so that you can actually continue your business? So that's the disaster recovery part. And then there's the second part, which is the business continuity part of the plan. Business continuity is saying, is like, okay, so we just got wrecked by something, right? Disaster or economic downturn or whatever. How do we continue to do business right now, right? Because the disaster recovery part is trying to get yourself back to normal. What do we do in the meantime? So like an example of this could be like maybe a restaurant, right? So maybe a restaurant down in Fort Myers Beach got, <clears throat> maybe the building got just obliterated, right? Maybe one side's blown out. A lot of their equipment was, was washed away. Some of their tables and chairs. What do you do in that instant? Okay, so- one of the first things you should might possibly look into is looking into that guy I mentioned earlier, the idle loan, economic injury and disaster loan, to try to find some money to be able to rebuild and get back to normal, like I, you know, like I mentioned before. But in the meantime, we also need to maybe find some foldable tables and chairs and some basic equipment we maybe have in storage, or we can go like on Facebook Marketplace and buy some extra equipment 
so we can continue to serve our, so we can continue to serve our customers throughout this recovery period, right? So that's just an example off the top of my head, as uh, as far as what a business can utilize a BDRP for. But when it comes to you know the business operations and the financial aspects of a business after a storm, it's very very important you have some sort of plan in place, even if it's just like a one percent chance it might happen. It's better to be safe than sorry. So I highly recommend you go through and make make a plan of that sort. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just before I ask you about about your own personal business journey, my friend, and because I know it's been uh, d- diversified for you yeah. specifically, but I wanted to know uh, about dealing with the emotional side of helping these business owners because you know a lot of the, the times people put their life savings in their businesses and once they're destroyed by natural disasters it's important to uh, manage the emotional side of uh, this as well as the, the financial side would you agree with that oh absolutely and there i mean like you said there definitely is a very emotional part to this especially when you're dealing with small businesses, right? Because a lot of these small businesses are, are mom and pop shops. Maybe they have a team of up to 50 people on it, possibly, but it could just be, you know, mom, dad, son, and, and wife, you know, who, who knows? So when you, especially when you have instances like that, there is a lot of emotion in that. So as an example, one of our clients right now, we're helping them go through the process of getting an idle loan and finding additional funding so they can expand and recover after Hurricane Ian. Uh, there was a second hurricane that came through last year that also affected them called Hurricane Adalia. So they, they got hit by two hurricanes and uh, COVID obviously knocked them on their feet. So, I mean, they are just in this point where, you know, they're doing fine. The, the business is running, they're making money, but it's just the immen- the emotional and mental toll of going through back to back to back instances of major setbacks in their business. It's really gotten to them. Um, to the point of almost tears, right? No tears on calls yet, but it was, you know, last call I had with them, it was almost tears. And it, it makes you really realize just how important this kind of work is. Cause it's not just about finding money and making sure the business runs. It's about making sure that their livelihood continues and making sure they, these individuals, these companies, these businesses can continue to put food on their tables for themselves and their family. So this kind of work has really shown me just the the compassionate side of business that can exist that uh, many people may not think is there in the business world, but there really is a compassionate side if you're looking for it. And if you want to find it, it's definitely in the disaster recovery space. So uh, there definitely is the uh, emotional and mental aspect to consider when you're working with clients in the, in the sector. Yeah. It's also important to tell them that uh, there are practical steps you can uh, take to protect yourself, right? Absolutely. There's, there's usually always some sort of answer because there's, you know, there's been hurricanes, there has been economic downturns, you know, COVID was a special exception. Last time that really happened, it, you know, it, especially in the U.S. was what, early, early like 1910s or 20s or something like that. So it's been a while. And a lot of people from then probably aren't alive right now. Um, so you do have some nuances, but a lot of these instances have happened before and there are answers to these, these obstacles. So it is, you know, understanding that this is an emotional process, but also understanding that there is a practical approach, as you said, to solving this problem. And um, it's just a matter of walking through the steps to to rectify the situation. Yeah, and Chris, I'm curious to ask you about your own sort of entrepreneurial journey, because you say you have a special uh, understanding 
understanding and appreciation for business resilience, my friend. So tell me about your diversified business journey, my friend. Absolutely. So I have... I have entre- I have entrepreneurial blood. So my dad, uh, to give a background, my dad is the former CEO and founder of a company called FindWhat.com. It was essentially Google before Google uh, became huge, and he was a it was a Nasdaq publicly traded company. He was all over the he had offices all over the world. Had done business with some of the largest holding companies and institutions around the world. So I have entrepreneurial blood <laughs> to say. To say it uh, briefly, but you know, and, and so with that, it, when I came to an early age of about twenty to twenty-two, I decided to start to dip my toes into the entrepreneurial world. And essentially, business can be defined or, or refined down to a simple statement of ask the marketplace for what it wants and give it to them. That's essentially what business is. You're finding the problems, you're giving the solutions. Uh, it's very easy to say that. It's very hard to do, <laughs> especially in in all sorts of sectors. So I started off initially in the CBD and e-commerce space. I had a brand called CBD Strong. It was about how the benefits of utilizing CBD when it came to fitness recovery, because I was big into working out in fitness at that time. Um, but I didn't knew I didn't know what it really took to build a business. So that failed pretty quick. Uh, and the next thing that came up was my love of fitness. So I got into the fitness space. I was also in social media marketing. I have been in real estate. I've been all over the place. Fitness mainly the majority of the time. Um, and through all of that, I, I've experienced a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And what you realize as an entrepreneur, something I didn't want to realize, but I, I had to come to reality is that things are always, there's always going to be something, right? So it's not a matter of avoiding pain or avoiding downturns or it's avoiding just the bad. It's a matter of how do you encounter less of it? But if you do encounter it, how do you get over it quickly? Right. So that's that's really been the main part. And that's that's a lot of what I would teach clients within the fitness space. Right. Teaching clients like how to overcome the mental obstacles and the physical obstacles to get to their goals. Now doing so with the disaster recovery, because you're going to experience a lot of these problems. But it's not a matter of of trying to avoid them. It's a matter of how do you get over them quickly? Um, That's something I've definitely experienced over the various industries that I've been a part of over the past five to seven years. Yeah, that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I know it's a family dynamic for you, as you mentioned, uh, you're, you're in business with your dad. You've also founded uh, Neuro and Blue Water Group, my friend. So tell me uh, briefly about those companies and where you think your desire for business diversification comes from, my friend. Absolutely. So my desire to business diversification is that I can't sit still and I need to be doing things. <laughs> Me too. Uh, so, so you understand. Uh, but yeah, so Neuro and Blue Water. So the, I'll kind of give you the organizational structure here. So Neuro is, is the parent company, uh, essentially the holding company. And then Economic Recovery Center and Blue Water are sister companies underneath Neuro. They're both fictional uh, uh, aliases. So DBAs, doing business as. Um, so Neuro is acts essentially as the parent company, as the data company, the holding company. It doesn't really do a whole lot. Blue Water, on the other hand, came about as a response to requests from Economic Recovery Center. So in helping our clients find funds through different programs and, and individuals to help these businesses get back on their feet, they wanted more, right? They wanted more funding. They wanted more avenues. They wanted more introductions to possible investors or other banks and lenders, the SBA. 
And so we're like, all right, well, there's a, there's a pretty good demand. It's pretty consistent that when these clients come to us, they want more. So, okay, let's build out Blue Water as the additional, right? So Economic Recovery Center is essentially helping these companies get back to normal. Blue Water is helping them grow above and beyond from there. And so with Blue Water, that's where we connect these individual, these clients with banks and lenders and investors to inject cash so they can ultimately do what they need to do to grow and scale. Um, so that's kind of the the high level synopsis of those other two entities I know you, you you've mentioned here. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Trace, I don't. Uh, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask a bit of a, a selfish question next. So, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I, uh, as you know from uh, reading up on me, but I was born with a cerebral palsy, and outside of hosting this podcast, my friend, I help organizations uh, really uh, amplify their hiring of folks with uh, disabilities because, you know, uh, for myself and people who look like me, it's not always easy to find and locate and maintain work. So outside of hosting this podcast, I do some public speaking on the importance of hiring folks with disabilities, and I help organizations create a more inclusive culture. So having said all that, I think entrepreneurship is a great way for folks with disabilities to create an individual and professional identity. And I'm curious, curious as a millennial entrepreneur yourself, what do you think are the benefits people with disabilities can offer the business world? Well, I mean, the biggest thing is, is this is, this is kind of one of my philosophies on just about anything is that hopefully that these businesses and individuals are evaluating incoming, uh, incoming hires or other entrepreneurs on the basis of ability, right? Ability, the ability to do the job in front of you, right? So it's not a matter of like disability, you know, like cerebral palsy or, or deaf of hard of hearing. It's a matter of, do they have the drive? Do they have the work ethic and can they get the job done? You know? just as good, if not better than, than the average person, right? So as an example, my, uh, we're, my dad's actually on the board of a local nonprofit here called the Deaf of Hard of Hearing Center. So working with hard of hearing individuals. And it's, 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 it's amazing what kind of markets are untapped in, in the deaf of hard of hearing, possibly cerebral palsy and physical disabilities. Like it, it, there's still so much potential to be had and so much, um, uh, what's the word? So much potential to be had. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was going to say intellectual capital, right? Because it, yes. cre it creates a competitive advantage, doesn't it? I 100% agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And Tess, what, is, what do you think it means to have financial flexibility as a, as a business owner or an entrepreneur? Financial flexibility? Okay, yeah, this is one of the things... Um, when it comes to business or financial flexibility, the biggest thing is just being adaptable, right? So it's a matter of looking at the landscape and understanding that there isn't just one way of doing business. There isn't just one way of finding funds and, and financing your business. Uh, there are multiple ways to go about the process, whether that's looking through the SBA in, in the United States for finding you know, small business loans through them, going through a, you know, possibly another individual lender for hard money. There's investors that can come in and inject cash, or you can sell equity in your company so they can come on board and help you out. Like, There's just so many different ways to go about growing a company outside of just sales. 
And the financial flexibility aspect is more so just having that mindset and that understanding that there is more than one way. It doesn't have to be you know rigid, like, oh, this is what I learned in a textbook, so it has to be done this way. No, everything can be done a thousand different ways. <laughs> there's there's no one right way. Oh, well, as long as you're following the law, there is no one right way of uh, getting to the desired end goal that you're looking to achieve. Uh, so that financial flexibility really comes down to more so a mindset of understanding that there are other possibilities out there for you. Yeah, and just a, a question out of personal interest and curiosity, my friend. I'm, I'm wondering your thoughts on how you think millennial business owners have really sort of reshaped the way we think about entrepreneurship. I think the biggest part, and it's it's something that actually my dad and I talk about a lot, is the adoption, the quick adoption of technology, especially new and emerging technology. It, you know, and you look in the AI space and how how much you can do with AI. So like an example, <clears throat> I filmed a 20 minute long video and I threw it into an AI video editor and it spit out 10 short form videos for me in about 20 minutes. Whereas you might, you, know, you look into maybe Generation X or Baby Booners, they might go through a process of hiring a production studio and then they might hire an editor and then they might go through like a creative, like, I don't know, like some crazy long process. And then you ultimately get these short videos over the period of maybe a month or two months Whereas I just got mine in 20 minutes, but it's all a matter of just being willing to adapt um, and implement just the newest technology on the bleeding edge to be able to grow and scale even quicker. So I think that is one thing that millennials and Gen Z as well now entering the marketplace, Gen Z, millennials and Gen Z do very, very well is that acceptance of adapting with the times when it comes to technology. That's a huge, huge advantage. Yeah, absolutely. And Trish, uh, it's an where you live in Florida, my friend. I'm curious, what would be your message to business owners about uh, protecting themselves, particularly in the Florida region, when disaster strikes, my friend, because you go through hurricane season every year in Florida. So what are some practical steps, both uh, financial and otherwise, you think that Florida business owners specifically need to take to protect their businesses. Absolutely. So the first one, and that's it's just kind of something a lot of Floridians know, especially when they live along the coast with all of these hurricanes, is have a generator or two, right? Because it, it, it's, it's not fun not having power, uh, especially when we live in a world that's so dependent on electricity and power. So having a generator is definitely a, a must um, for any business, for any homeowner, any, any individual in Florida. Uh, the second thing is definitely make sure you have good insurance, good flood insurance, good good uh, yeah flood insurance especially because especially with Hurricane Ian when it came through, we don't really get storm surge here. I've been through a lot of hurricanes in Southwest Florida. I've played outside in hurricanes as a kid. Like it's just something that we never really ever take serious because it's never really done anything cra any crazy damage. We've had a category category five hurricane through here before. Uh, back in the early 2000s, it was Hurricane, I think it was early 2000s, Hurricane Charlie, um, and it, it ripped an island in half, but there was nobody living in that part of the island, so it didn't hurt anybody, and the rest of the county was pretty much back on its feet in about a week. So the guy, you know, Category 5, that's whatever, it's fine. Um, but then Hurricane Ian came through, and we had 16, if I, if I remember correctly, 16-foot storm surge. So all along, all of our beach towns were underwater. All of them. You know, you had two-story houses that were completely underwater. 
And so that's something that a lot of individuals didn't think about. They like, oh, flood insurance is kind of, yeah, maybe I should get it. Maybe I should, yeah, whatever. Um, some homes, were, you know, some areas required you to have flood insurance. Um, but a lot of areas where it's optional, it's like, yeah, no, I'm good. So definitely having flood insurance is very, very important because a lot of these homes that didn't have it, I mean, they're kind of SOL because they didn't have insurance to cover from flood. It's like, oh, we have maybe insurance to cover for hurricane. Well, you don't have insurance for a flood. So tough. Um, so those are two big, big things I would definitely recommend. And then the uh, BDRP that I mentioned earlier, the business disaster recovery plan, definitely very, very important to have one of those in place beforehand. So you know what to do um, before, before, during, and after a natural disaster hits the state of Florida. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, uh, Chase, for you specifically, one of your major goals is to Help people achieve greatness and inspire change in business, my friend. So what does that mean to you? Yeah, you know, I had to, yeah, this, it's, it's related to a question that I ask business owners, yeah, or that my dad might ask business owners, and that is, how do you define success? So that's essentially how we define success is a, being able to, to inspire greatness in others. But then I had to think about it with your question. You addressed it. And I was like, oh, well, now I have to define my definition. Cool. Okay. So I wrote it out. And uh, I'm going to pull it up real quick to make sure I, I do get across exactly what I wanted to get across. Um, yeah, as an old yeah. journalist, my friend, I can respect your, your preparation. So I appreciate that. Oh, I wrote out, I mean, I wrote out entire answers to every question you sent me. And, and I know I already didn't answer one of the questions the way I wanted to, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so with this one, inspiring change. Uh, or inspiring greatness, right? So like achieving greatness can mean so many different things to so many different people, like achievements or excellence or influence. But for me, I think it really revolves around, you know, what kind of impact do you want to have on those that you come in contact with directly or indirectly, right? So either face-to-face -face or over creation of content. So in the, the way you can really measure that is how do people feel after they've worked with you or they've spoken with you, they've interacted with you? Do they feel like their life's improved? Uh, do they feel inspired to take more action? Do they feel like they're capable or is it the inverse? I mean, do they feel cheated? Do they feel defeated? Do they feel like they're not worthy? Because yeah, I've heard this so many times on social media and I've seen it happen a lot too, is that people won't always remember what you do for them, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. And that's real impact. So it's having that emotional and mental effect that you have on someone's life. So, you know, in order to achieve greatness, I really define that as being able to have that emotional and mental impact on an individual after I've come in contact with them and I've provided so much value that maybe they won't remember what I did for them, uh, but they'll at least remember how I made them feel and it inspired them to actually go take more action in their lives to take where their life is at right now and make it just a degree better. So that's, that's, that's greatness for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just before I ask you about, about your um, podcast, my friend, I'm also curious to go back to our conversation about diversity and inclusion. How do you think uh, we should define the sort of the new definition of diversity and inclusion? So how do you define business diversity with an inclusive lens, my friend. Hmm. That's a great question. Yeah, I'll be honest; I haven't really thought about these questions too in depth, uh, and I'm very, I'm very glad that you're bringing them to my attention now. So, when it comes to diversity and inclusiveness, I think the best way to promote, honestly, I think the best way to promote that is through kind of like a meritocracy model, right? So, really, kind of what I was mentioning before: having people come in and show what they're capable of 
and and really being able to yeah show what they're capable of because it, it doesn't matter what background you come from there are so many capable people in so many different arenas and so many different groups that just aren't given the chance because of the fact they're in a specific group and that and you know lack of better words that sucks <laughs> that really sucks so there's an amazing people in every single group all around the world so I think the best way to go about diversity and inclusivity is being able to have that kind of meritocracy model and being able to evaluate somebody on their ability to actually do the job, not necessarily, you know, what their resume says. Well, it does, you know, that, that could definitely help um, being able to evaluate somebody based off of, can they get the job done in a way that best um, aligns with the company, but also best serves the individual, the customer, the employee that's coming in or the business owner, right? If you are the business owner, so I think that meritocracy model is probably the best way to go about it um, without having done, honestly, too too much research myself into diversity and inclusivity. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to uh, just follow up with this. You know, one of the things I work hard at doing is trying to change the mind of the people that are in charge of sort of acquiring the talent, you know, the, the people in charge of hiring and making those decisions. And, you know, uh, Chase, one of the uh, uh, analogies that I will share with you that I, I personally use when I give a public presentation to is, is thinking of it as a dining room table, right? And pulling out a chair of inclusion or uh, thinking about it as you're going to Thanksgiving dinner every day and sort of pulling out a chair of inclusion because everyone around the dining room or thanksgiving uh table is thankful for something and if you include them then your uh perspective is uh, more broad so what is it from your perspective it's going to take to change the mind of these uh, talent acquisition professionals uh, and those in, in power and leadership my friend Well, you're the expert. Uh, <laughs> um, I think it, it's it's the the showing of showing of more results and showing because it might the mindset may come again. You're the expert, so you're going to know better than I will. But this is just kind of off the top of my head. The, the The mindset may come from an assumption of results, an assumption of what what this type of individual may bring to the table and have to show for it whereas if you can show someone the results of something maybe like a blind like a blind showcase right so it's like you're showing the results of like hey employee a did this employee b did this employee c did this you know guess which one is the 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 individual of disability and then uh, maybe something like that kind of like with the um they had the the soda tasting experiment i don't know if you've ever seen that but it was like uh mm -hmm. They had a soda tasting, but they had like Coke, Pepsi, and generic. And across the board, people enjoyed the generic more than they did the name brands. But it was because of the fact that something is labeled generic, you think it, it it's not as good. But that's not the case. It's, it was better than all of them. So <laughs> I think maybe going about that process could be a, a, a good way and being able to showcase that at scale through like maybe content uh, could be very beneficial. But uh, beyond that, I would love to hear what you what, what your thoughts are on that. Well, you know, I, I think it's, it's continuing to educate uh, people uh, with the information 
that will help them make an informed decision because mm-hmm. you can tell uh, business owners that that hiring folks with disabilities is a great moral thing to do. But I also think it's important to show them the uh, what I call sort of financial and production receipts because when you hire folks with disabilities, you can retain them at a 72% higher clip than their non-disabled counterparts, and they show up to work 86% of the, of the time. So there are benefits uh, to hiring folks with disabilities. And for your world, uh, for uh, uh, small and medium-sized businesses to uh, hire folks with disabilities, consu- consumers that know that um, studies in Canada have shown that ninety-two percent of consumers support businesses who hire uh, folks with disabilities. So I think it's educating them on the benefits and uh, showing them how it improves the, their bottom line and also uh, their mo- their morale practices at work. And because when you increase morale, people want to show up to work, and that's always a good thing, isn't it? Oh, that's a fantastic thing. That's that's that that's definitely something to uh, address too. Is like just getting getting want, getting people that want to show up to work. That's a huge thing, especially in a culture of of um, working from home, right? Everybody wants to work from home, but being able to find somebody that really wants to come in and and get work done with the team in office—that's it, it, crazy, but it, it's much rarer to find these days. So that, that's a fantastic point. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, and thank you for uh, turning the tables and interviewing the interviewer. But that's fine. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not the expert in that arena. So one thing I have learned is that you know, one one thing that I would knowledge I've been imparted on is that um, the best experience in the world is someone else's. Right? There's always you can learn something from everybody in every facet of life. So if there's an expert out there that knows something, I'm. You're the expert. I'm the student. I want to listen. I want to learn. Well, you know, uh, the philosophy I take on that uh, changes no matter how many degrees you have on a wall or how many years you went to school. You can always learn something new and then tackle from somebody else, right? Absolutely. We're in total agreement. <laughs> uh, Chase, I want to talk about your podcast that you hosted for a while, buddy, called Healthy and Wealthy, my friend, which allows you to have these financial conversations and increase your, your knowledge base as well. So tell me all about, about the show and what you got out of hosting it, my friend. Oh, yeah. So I had a show that I hosted on and off <clears throat> for about four years called the Young, Healthy, and Wealthy Podcast. Uh, it's something I, I wish I could still do, but I just it's a matter of time. <laughs> I, can't, I can't find the time to sit down, and I would do episodes for an hour, two hours. Longest episode I ever did was two and a half hours. Um, and I, I just I love the process of interviewing somebody and getting to know what's going on in their head, how they operate, why they do things the way they do. Um, but I do something kind of similar called a thread cast now. So it's just a little kind of carousel slide thing I do on, on threads, the new social media platform. Um, so I, I'm keeping it alive. But as far as the podcast itself, it was so incredibly beneficial in so many ways. The, one of the main ones being the network that you get out of doing a podcast. So anybody who's listening, um, if it makes sense for your business model or if you have that labor of love or labor and insanity mindset uh, that we share here, definitely pursue a podcast because of the networking capabilities. Because one, it gets you into rooms that 
get you into rooms and conversations that you may not have otherwise been able to be a part of had you not had that podcast. Because essentially what you're doing is you're giving a platform to somebody else to where you were distributing celebrity. Right? It's giving that person a moment to shine and it gives them the ability to be heard because one of the most common human desires that we all have is that we want to be heard. We don't want to be ignored. We don't want our voice to be silenced. We want to be, we want to know that people are listening to us. That's, that's a huge human innate desire. Um, so by doing a podcast and interviewing somebody, you're giving them that opportunity to do so. And in doing that, you are developing immense rapport with the individual on the other side of the screen or on the other side of the table. <clears throat> Because now they feel like they've been heard and they respect you and they may not remember what has been said in the podcast, but kind of what I was saying before, they remember how it made them feel to be on that show and to be and to be showcased in that way. So in doing that, I was able to meet a lot of amazing individuals all over the world. Uh, I met a, uh, a massive uh, motivational keynote speaker over in Australia. I had met the CEO of or the yeah the 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 founder I'm sorry the founder of FanDuel one of the sports betting apps here in the United States mm-hmm. um, the CEO of Capriati is a major sandwich chain here with you know I think it was like a hundred something locations tons of very prominent real estate um, experts and individuals I even got asked to speak at an event in Puerto Rico because of the fact the person I had interviewed who was running the event loved their interview so much like oh yeah you got to come down to Puerto Rico and come attend this event you can interview all the different speakers here and then they threw me up on stage too as a, as a nice little bonus so there's a lot of opportunity that can come out of having a podcast because of the fact that you are giving somebody that stage to be heard and ha- and acquire that sort of celebrity for however long that period is and uh, that can lead to a lot of very beneficial things in your personal life as well as your business life yeah, absolutely. And talking about a business life, Chase, I'm, I'm curious to ask you about what, what sort of mindset do you think entrepreneurs have to have if they want to have sustainable success? I loved, 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 loved this question. So it's a, in order for an, the mindset an entrepreneur needs to have in order to achieve success is kind of this bouncing act of two opposing things that sound like they're opposing, but they work really well together. One is a delusional sense of self-belief. You have to believe above all else that you are going to succeed and nothing's going to stop you in order to do that. Like there's nothing that can get in your way. But on the same token, you do need to have a hyper-realist viewpoint of how life works. So you need to understand like, okay, yes, I believe that I can achieve and I can do all these things, but like here's how life actually works and things aren't going to go the way that I'm, I think they're going to go all the time. That's okay because now that I understand that this, 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 and this can happen, I can come up with a plan in order to overcome those obstacles to reinforce that self-delusional belief in my head that I will succeed. So you need to have that kind of balance between the two seemingly opposing views in order to achieve that level of success. And if you look at any of these individuals who kind of achieved that, one of these, one of the individuals in question that I've really adopted this from has been Ray Dalio. I've been reading his book, Principles. And the self-delusional belief that's always been, been there for me. And I've always had an idea of what that second part was, but I couldn't quite pinpoint it. And he highlighted it perfectly in his book, that hyper-realistic uh, point of view, right? So it's not just, it's not looking through the world in rose-colored glasses. It's looking at the world through actual glasses. And here's, here's how the world works. Here are all the facts. How can I use these to my advantage so that I can support the self-delusional belief in my head that I can succeed? So it's yeah. having that balancing act between the two. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Chase, I know you've got plenty of experience in this, and 
Sometimes it works for others and sometimes it doesn't. So tell me, what are the benefits and drawbacks of working with immediate and close family, my friend? And how do you think you can have a, a successful family and business dynamic if you work together? I love the question. So it's definitely an interesting one for sure, because if you go into the workplace and you have coworkers, there's likely not going to be emotional connections between each other. So, you know, if, if there's disagreements at work or that you might have animosity towards you know one another, it's gone at five o'clock, right? Because you're home, you're away, you're, you're in your own world with your family doing whatever you're doing. Uh, when you're working with family, that never goes away. That's there 24-7. So if there is any bad blood, if there is any animosity, if there is anything negative happening in the business, that will bleed over into the family life and that could cause some hostility. Um, so I think an important thing to address in order to avoid that the best you can is when you're going into an agreement or going to business with a family member, having that conversation ahead of time, that hyper-realistic view, because you ha- kind of have the rose petal glasses of thinking, oh, we're family, everything's going to be hunky-dory. No, business isn't always great. So there's going to be tough conversations and there's going to be disagreements. So one of the things you need to do beforehand is having that conversation with said family members and going like, hey, things aren't always going to be great. So what are we going to do in the instances where things aren't great? We can't just throw, we can't just be, we can't just disagree with each other, go home and then be just angry at each other all the time or go to these, you know, maybe Thanksgiving or Christmas or or Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate or however your family comes together. We can't have this sort of disagreement, hostility bleed over into there. So you need to have that conversation ahead of time to mitigate and figure out a plan to get rid of that. Now, that's the negative side. Now, the positive side is because you're family, you have a pretty good idea on how you how we, how each of you thinks, right? So when you go into a situation and you're having to make a decision, you're able to make decisions pretty fast because you understand how this person's going to think, oh, okay, so if I do this, they're going to do this and boom, I'm good. So I'm going to go ahead and make this decision. We're going to move forward. Um, a lot of times you will find a lot of agreements, especially if it's family members that you do relate well with in your personal life. There's a chance that you might relate well in your business life. So there is a lot of synergy that could be had as well. So examples like my dad and I, we think the exact same way about pretty much everything. So it's very easy for one of us to make a decision knowing that we do have the full support of the other individual because we know it's the same decision that they would have made if they were in our shoes. So being able to have family members and family dynamics where there is that agreeableness and there is that sense of sameness in mind and thought is very helpful when it comes to business because it reduces the amount of lag and the amount of of latency between input coming into the business and a decision being made on that input. So there's there's definitely pros and cons, but uh, I definitely think the pros outweigh the cons as long as you can mitigate the cons. Well, yeah, and you have a a defined game plan going in before you start a business, right? Yep, business plan is key. (laughs) Absolutely. Chase, in the interest of not uh, keeping you here forever, I'm going to uh, combine my last two questions because they're interconnected, my friend. I'm curious to ask you about how you think you've grown the most as a person and as a business leader in the last five uh, to 10 years. And when we apply that to your personal and professional legacy, how do you how do you want that to be defined? So I think I've definitely grown in the capacity of resilience, um, kind of like one of the things that we do with the Economic Recovery Center, helping companies become more resilient. 
I've become much more resilient when it comes to tough times, encountering tough times, right? Because when you first get into business, there is a little bit of naivety, a little bit of rose-colored glasses when you start. Um, and I definitely had that when I started. So whenever anything bad happened, I would, you know, this is a fight, flight, or freeze thing. I'd freeze or I'd flight and I'm like, oh, what's going on? I don't know why this bad thing happened. Like this shouldn't have happened. And then, you know, I'd, I'd falter. Whereas now if something bad happens, like, yeah, okay, cool. Right. What do we do next? Yeah, it, it's it's this, this idea of soldiering on that Warren Buffett puts. It was one of his last interviews that I saw this. And you're allowed to cry. You're allowed to be mad. You're allowed to shout. You're allowed to do all of these things and have all of these negative emotions, feel the feelings, do the thing. But you have to soldier on. You have to move through the pain. You have to move forward. You have to wake up in the morning. You have to go to bed at night and do it all over again until you can overcome the obstacle at hand. Um, in the beginning, I definitely wasn't wired that way. Uh, because I just hadn't experienced enough. I hadn't been uh, uh, kicked around uh, <laughs> in the beginning, but now I have been kicked around. A couple of things have happened. Some big things have happened over the years where I've been able to overcome it. I'm here. I'm, I'm alive. I'm, al I'm well. And one thing that's helped me do that and helped me to soldier on is a quote from a family friend, uh, which is, they can't eat you. Right. So no matter how bad a scenario gets, like whoever, you know, maybe you owe somebody money or you have to fire somebody or uh, fill in the blank, whatever, they can't eat you. You're you're safe. Physically, you are safe. You will survive actual physical survival. So it's all good. Yeah. Mentally and emotionally, it might suck for a while, but ultimately you're going to be able to wake up in the morning tomorrow. And that's the biggest blessing you could possibly have. So uh, soldier on, they can't eat you. Those are two huge things that have led to the development of resilience for me and being able to encounter a lot of just very negative situ situations and scenarios with tact and be able to overcome them. Yeah, and how, how do you want that to apply to your legacy, my friend? How do you want your legacy to be defined? So I love that question because it's something it's something we talk about a lot over here is, is that legacy. And one of the things I want to be able to do and the, and the reason why that resilience is so important is because I'm going to be able to overcome, you know, I, 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 there's still higher levels of resilience to reach. Not like I'm some resilience guru and I've, I've overcome it. So I'm good to go forever. No, there's going to be bigger challenges as we grow. Uh, it's going to be testing me further and further, but the more I'm tested and the more I'm able to overcome obstacles and challenges, the more I'm going to be able to give out into the world. And ultimately my legacy, I want it to be one where I was able to put out more than I took, right? Mm -hmm. Cause I want to live the high life. I want to have the nice things and live the cool lifestyle. I want to do all those things. You know, it's flashy. It's fun. It's cool. But uh, you don't get that unless you actually provide value. And it's not, and so there is that level. There's a transactional level, which puts you even. Like, okay, I put out X amount of value. I get X amount of return. I am now net zero. And it's not net positive, not net negative. I'm net zero because I got what I wanted. So now how do you go from there to being able to put out more than what you took? And that's just being able to give out, you know, coming on podcasts like this or putting out more content on you know, YouTube or Instagram, whatever it is, like just content is like a start or being able to give out free resources or being able to help companies like we are, like I had mentioned earlier, the specific company hit by two hurricanes and, and um, COVID and, and the almost coming to tears on the call, being able to help them isn't just a matter of like, okay, I did my job. It's a matter of, hey, I let that family business continue so maybe they can pass it on to their kids and then their kids and then their kids because I was able to come in and help where I could. Not to say that that will happen. I don't know. You, you never know what's going to happen, you know, 30, 40, 50, 100 years down the line. 
But the fact that I'm able to go in these different scenarios and be able to affect change over generations, that's what's most important to me, whether it's somebody else's family or my own family, being able to have, you know, my great, 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 great grandson, or let's just say great grandson, because the likelihood that a lot of us will remember our great grandparents is pretty low. So great grandson or great granddaughter, or you know, great grandkids will be able to look back and, and say that they are proud to be related to me. Um, and be inspired by that. That's huge for me too, because that means I've put out more than I've took in, because I don't get anything for that. I'm dead. I'm most likely dead at that point. So being able to inspire another generation like that beyond me, beyond this time right now, is huge for that legacy. So that would be that would be my answer. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, Jerish, in the spirit of uh, sharing, my friend, the last line of my biography says that uh, the, the biggest smiles I get in life are not through personal achievement, but through the smiles and thrills I'm able to give to other people because life is about paying it forward, isn't it? I love that. That's a great, that's a great quote. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for that. I came up with that all by myself, so thanks for that. <laughs> I love it. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be taking that. Uh, well, you, you can take it. Just give me 30% of your commission, okay? Uh, I'm only kidding. But, uh, Chase, finally tell me if people want to get connected with you, my friend. What's the best way they can do that? So the best way you can connect with me is either through Instagram, Threads, or LinkedIn, which is where you found me. So on LinkedIn, I'm Chase Adler Paceras Henderson. On Instagram and Threads, I am Chase AP Henderson. Those are, are the three places where I am active the most. Uh, where you're able to get in contact with me, send me a DM, interact with my content, throw me a question. Always here to help. Well, I threw you a podcasting interview, so I appreciate Thanks. that. And I love it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Absolutely, my friend. And all kidding aside, my friend, and I want to thank you for the inroads of difference that you're making in the field of entrepreneurship and for hanging out with me this afternoon to talk about disaster relief in business and a prosperity as well. Your work in the space and time on my behalf, my friend, is most appreciated. And I want to thank you for being here this afternoon. Well, thank you for giving me the stage and distributing celebrity over to me. I appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure to be able to speak about what we do, um, but more so to be able to speak with you, man. This is a really, really cool podcast that you've got, and you definitely got a very specific uh, uh, aura, I guess is the best way to put it to you, where you're, you've just got this down. You know what you're doing. You know how to do it, and you do it very well. Uh, so I've had, a, I've had an absolute blast. Thank you for having me on.